This week's episode of Carson Sack Podcast is brought to you by Sweetwater Brewing. Sweetwater Brewery has been making tasty brews in the heart of the South since 1997. What started as a pipe dream of two college buddies turned into a dream job full of great adventures and lip-smacking beers. What would you expect from a couple of boys with more of a hankering for beers than for books? At Sweetwater, they like to say, they're not here for a long time, they're here for a good time. It's not just something they say, though. It's how they live. If you're up for a good time, come check them out at their bar, at their brewery in Atlanta every spring, at their Raging 420 Festival, or wherever the fishing is good in your neck of the woods. Remember, don't float the mainstream as we all find our path in life and drink them if you got them. Now hit that ish. And sorry, I know you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Uh, how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to the 44th episode of Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls. I'm recording this starting at 10.38 p.m. on 11-27-2018, a.k.a. my 22nd birthday. And what better gift could I give to myself and in turn give to all my faithful listeners than getting out another episode of Carson Sack Podcast. We are going to talk championship weekend in college football. The playoff rankings are coming to the very end. We're going to talk about the updated rankings that just came out tonight. We're going to talk NFL. Boy, things are really starting to take off there. We're going to recap, like I said last week, of college basketball and the Maui Invitational. And we are going to talk the match, the golf match that happened the past week on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving between Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. And also, we are going to start this episode off with something I think that could be a little cool. Since I'm 22 years old, I wanted to give a top 10 sports moment of my life so far through these 22 years. And it is stuff that I have been there for. Uh, stuff that has happened to me and stuff that has happened with teams that I root for and things like that. So I have my 10 of them picked out, ready to go. So let's just get right into that right off the bat. The first one, number 10 on my top 10 sports moment list of my lifetime, I have going to the par three at Augusta during Masters week. If you haven't ever been, uh, going to the Masters and Augusta is something super surreal, and I was so lucky enough to do that in 2010 with my dad. The year Phil Mickelson won his third. I loved it. It was awesome. One of the cool things about it, besides the fact that it's the Masters, it's Augusta, there's so much history. If you do have the opportunity to do it, is go into the last practice round on Wednesday and go into the par 3 course, which I'm a huge fan of par 3 courses. Me and my buddies, uh, Patrick Clancy and Matthew English and Danny Tilton, shout out to those guys. Literally for like three summers, we would go to Different Strokes Golf Course out in Middletown near Lake Forest and everything and just cause a scene at least once a week going out there and playing. And I loved 
every swing that I had out there. But back to the topic at hand, the par three at Augusta. You get just to see your favorite golfers up close and personal in a very relaxed setting, something I didn't take enough appreciation for at the time. But also, if you're young enough, well, not even if you're young enough, if you just do it, they will sign literally anything pretty much you give to them. So I got Phil's signature. I got Sergio Garcia's signature. I got so many of these great guy signatures, but Justin Leonard, Fuck Justin Leonard. He had his wife carrying the bag for him, but she wasn't even carrying the bag. She was just there, so he was carrying it. I go, as a young, brash, 12-year-old, I go up to him when he's standing on the tee box. Not about the swings, not about anything. Just sitting there. I say, hey, like, hey, can I have your autograph? He goes, can't you see I'm carrying my bag? Fuck him. But besides that, number 10 moment, sports moment of my life, par 3 at Augusta. Number nine is going to my first UK UofL basketball game. And at this time, I don't remember what age I was. It was definitely, it was LeBron's first stint in Cleveland. I had moved to Louisville from Houston, Texas. My parents had no real preference of who they cheered for. They leaned more towards UofL because UK fans were annoying. And I guess you could say for a little bit there, I did lean that way as well. But I went to the UofL UK game at Rupp in a LeBron James Cavalier jersey and an Ohio State like Letterman jacket that was three sizes too big with my dad and I got interviewed by one of the TV stations in Lexington and they just asked me if I they interviewed me as if I was LeBron James and if I was going to stay or go or win the finals and all that and I think that was just something so just ridiculous that I as a kid that I did and remember and had a good time with so that's my number nine number eight was again, I don't remember the age specifically, but I do remember a good amount of the details. It was probably my first or second year of tackle football at Middletown in Louisville, the Middletown Eagles. And for some reason, this team had me out on kickoff return. I don't know why or anything like that, but they did. I played center, guard, everything. I played just line was what I was growing up. But they had me on kickoff return for some reason. And by the grace of God, the ball somehow found its way into my hands on a kickoff one day. And I returned it for like 38, 40 yards within the other team's 10-yard line because I was huge and all these kids couldn't tackle me. I somehow ended up with the ball. But that was up until another moment on this list, that was my shining moment in football. Number seven, um, this goes to the back-to-back Chile Open champion. Chile Open, not really a prestigious thing. It takes place, it did, I don't know if it still does every year, but it did for at least two years in a row because I won it two years in a row, thank you very much, at Cranberry Hills Golf Course. And it's done, like it says, Chile Open in late November, I was always home then, and they would serve chili at the end, and there's an aggregate scoring system. It's kind of flawed. I don't even think I actually won it. I think they just gave it to me because they felt bad for me or whatever. But more than, like, the personal accomplishment, um, growing up, my dad did in New Washington, Ohio, worked at Cranberry Hills, 
uh, grew up there. Pretty much that is his home course and everything. And that has meaning to him. And he would take me there and everything. And I remember just going and hanging out at Cranberry on breaks and everything over the holidays and summers and everything like that. And just thinking how much that like place means to me just because of the way he had me around it and everything and playing golf with him and us having something to do there and have that connection at a place that was in his childhood and then in my childhood and my life just something cool like that where no like the back-to-back chili open thing doesn't really mean a lot but having that with my dad and everything I appreciate that so that's why that's the number seven the number six also is a moment, again, with my dad in golf. It's the PGA Championship um, a couple years ago when I was at Valhalla. And because my dad is just pretty cool he and works at Louisville Country Club as a superintendent, he knows the superintendent at Valhalla where the PGA Championship took place. And they're friends. He gets not special privileges by any mean, but is asked to help and do things. And I remember on Friday... My dad got to drive around and I got to ride with him and pick up all the flags after the last group went through. That was very cool. And then on Sunday, get to the tournament. It's pouring down rain. It's in our rain delay for a while. And then at the very end before the leaders and everything go back out, um, my dad gets a golf cart and everything. And me and a couple of my buddies are riding in the back of it, just driving around following the last couple groups and everything just cool moments like that that not a lot of people are fortunate enough to get to do even go to the tournament but then have such great access and privileges that I'm super happy for that's why something like that is six on my list number five I mentioned a previous career football achievement this is not probably my best or anything like that but it's one of my favorites it is number five it's my interception against male sophomore year of high school uh so let me set the scene it's a jv game it is pouring down rain there's probably like 40 people in the stands we're not recording the game for film like we normally do because it's raining and the film kid did want to do it of course they didn't but Close game, male, very good that year in football. It's coming down to the wire, and I'm in there, pass rush, everything like that, third down, and the ball is knocked out of the quarterback's hands while throwing, and it just falls into my lap, right into my hands, and I get it, I take two steps to the right, and I realize, holy shit, this game's over, like, I can just fall down, so that's what I do. My biggest regret so far, one of them in my life, is not running the ball out of the pile, because my teammates and the refs knew I had it, like, the teammates on the field knew I had it, but... The fans, I don't think they had any idea. My coaches, I don't think they had any idea. Nothing like that. I wish I would have ran out of that a little bit, shown, hey, I got the ball. I got up, celebrated. It was terrible. I, like, high-stepped off the field. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I was just so excited. But, again, that's number five on the list, and it would have been higher if I would have returned it for a touchdown, which I easily could because I have freaking wheels when I have the ball in my hand. Number four moment for me is the Braxton Miller touchdown against Wisconsin. Um, his freshman year when Ohio State was dog shit, Luke Fickle was the head coach. Me and my dad went up there for the Wisconsin game, and out of nowhere, 
they decide Ohio State decides to play amazing, and in the last seconds, Braxton Miller throws a huge bomb to Corey Brown, who wins the game for us and everything. They were wearing throwbacks that night. It was the biggest game of the year at the shoe. So it was amazing, again, just to be there and witness that. Number three for me, this is where things got tough. Number three for me was being at the Aaron Craft Iowa State buzzer beater in person. I remember being with one of my good friends and his dad and the day before and my friend being like, hey, I'm going up to the games here in Dayton. Do you want to go? But he didn't have tickets. So I scalped my own tickets and sat by myself in the top row while he and his dad were down in the corner about probably 10 rows up. So they're down there and I'm way up there by myself. And Ohio State was highly ranked that year. I think they were a four seed or something like that. Iowa State was up there in the first round. And Iowa State, everybody was picking Iowa State as this hot, fresh team that was going to be able to upset the Buckeyes because they had matchup problems and everything. And they played extremely well and had every chance to win. I mean, Aaron Kraft had to make a buzzer beater to win. But I remember watching it live and Aaron Kraft, Deshaun Thomas comes off the roll for the ball who is our best player, best shooter, and Kraft weighs him off. Kraft is not a three-point shooter at all. Chucks it up and just nails the three-pointer. Holds the follow-through for a little bit, and I lose my shit. It was, up to that point, the most excited I've ever been in my entire life as a sports fan. So that's why that's number three. Now... Between two and one, this is where I had my hardest struggle to decide what was going to be picked. I went with number two. I went with attending WrestleMania 17. Growing up and still am a huge wrestling fan. So going to a WrestleMania in and of itself is an experience that I am so lucky to be able to have done. Grant, I was four years old when this happened, so I remember some things, but at the time, I didn't understand the magnitude of it. Looking back on it now and hearing all the reviews and everything about this WrestleMania, WrestleMania 17 that I went to, it's widely regarded as the best WrestleMania ever. The WrestleMania where The Rock turned heel, turned bad guy, if you're not a mark and you're not listening for a shoot here. Um, when he turned be a bad guy and he was my favorite wrestler growing up and everything so and the TLC match that happened there and everything and just little things I remember like being afraid of Doink the Clown when he came out for his spot in a battle royal and all these other little tidbits that I'm not gonna ever forget like talking to this Edge and Christian fan about the Hardy Boys and Dudley Boys TLC match and him making fun of me because I was a Hardy Boys fan stuff like that that I got to do with my mom and will never forget is why that's number two. And again, I can't express how lucky I am to do to have been able to do that. The number one sports moment of my life so far, I said I struggled with it, but coming down to it, it had to be this. Ohio State winning the 2015 first ever college football playoff. It just had to be. They were picked to not even make it after they lose to Virginia Tech earlier in the year as JT Barrett was the quarterback. They lose JT Barrett in the Michigan game. 
Carnell Jones comes in, the third string guy, because Braxton Miller got hurt before the season even started. They steamroll Wisconsin 59-0. They somehow find their way fourth as the fourth team in the playoff. They go, they like I said, they beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship. First round, they have to play Alabama. Alabama's going to kill them, correct? Right? I mean, Cardell Jones, all this. Urban Meyer is not anywhere near Nick Saban's level. Cardell Jones, how are you going to compete with that as a third-string quarterback against this Alabama defense? All this stuff. They somehow find a way and beat Alabama. Okay, so then they go and they play Oregon, who Marcus Mariota, Heisman winner, high-powered offense. How is their defense going to be able to stop them? Can Cardell Jones still handle this pressure and everything? Ezekiel Elliott's playing good, but can he keep that up? And they just dominate that game as well. Funny story about that. For the first... A little bit of the game, I didn't have a dip in. And the game was kind of back and forth, back and forth. And then I put a dip in in like the second quarter and Ohio State started just going off and playing well and dominating. And so I was like, shit, like I have to keep this dip in until the game's over or else we're going to lose. So from the second quarter until the very end of that game, I had a dip in my mouth and it was the same dip. It was dry as all hell when I took it out. But that was my, besides rooting my ass off, that was my contribution to Ohio State winning that national championship was me sacrificing my gum and my lip for about three hours watching that game. So that's what I contributed to that. And the feeling of happiness and ecstatic, just feeling I had that night, I hasn't been matched since really, honestly, because... Just how do you compare winning a national championship, the first college football playoff national championship to anything in the recent that has happened with Ohio State? I mean, again, it's my list. I know you all can, I mean, you, yes, you can disagree, but you all didn't feel the, the emotions I did or go through what I did, so you don't really have a reason to agree. But that's my list. I thank you all for listening to it, for being here with me on Carson Sack. Like I said, I did this because it's my 22nd birthday. I appreciate all of you all listening to this. And those are my top 10 sports moments that I have lived or experienced in my short, young 22 years here on Earth. We can now move on to college football. And it is now conference championship week the stage is set the rankings are out let me just rattle these off for you this is one through ten you have alabama clemson notre dame georgia enters the top four oklahoma ohio state michigan ucf florida and lsu and then those really if we're going to be honest seven out of the top 10 have a chance to make the college football playoff and we are going to get to that and break that down a little bit more as the matchups are looked at a little bit more the first conference championship game we have is friday november 30th on fox you have utah at washington the winner of this game goes to the rose bowl more than likely both of these teams sit at 9-3. and three. Washington coming off a big win last week at Washington State in a game that was dominated by snow, dominated by Washington being able to run the ball, control clock, and keep 
Cornelius and the rest of Washington State's powerful offense off the field. And when they did get on the field, Washington was taking away the deep throws, keeping everything in front of them, a lot of checkdowns to receivers and whatnot for Cornelius and that offense. And they were able, the Washington defense was, to come up, make tackles, keep them short of first down, good open field tackling. Great game plan by Coach Peterson at Washington. Jake Browning looked pretty good in the game as well. Everybody says Utah in this game play every game they play just plays with so much just power and energy and everything like Mike Leach has been saying that they hit the hardest out of everybody in the league everything like that the game to me is just going to be about can Utah stop Gaskins on Washington and that run game if they can Utah has more than enough to get the job done and win I just don't think they're going to be able to, and I think Washington ends up getting the job done and wins the Pac-12 this year. We move on to Saturday for another conference championship game. It's a rematch of the Red River rivalry between Texas and Oklahoma. The game is taking place at Oklahoma. A big storyline here is can Sam Ellinger get in for the four the Longhorns, will he be back and everything? If he is, they've got, oh, oh, excuse me. If he can be back, they have it. I think Texas has a much better chance, obviously, to win this game than if they don't. The only problem for me is that I know neutral site they won earlier, but... Oklahoma's team as itself, I guess you could say, has grown. I mean, Kyler Murray is still doing his thing. That offense is still doing its thing. Lincoln Riley is still calling great plays, getting his guys good matchups, exploiting matchups that they know they can win and everything like that. But the defense for Oklahoma still hasn't come around, and it's very questionable. I just think that Kyler Murray and the rest of Oklahoma is going to be too much in this game. And Oklahoma, and it being at Oklahoma is why the Sooners win the Big 12 this year once again. Moving on, the American Championship game. You have the undefeated number 8 UCF Knights hosting the Memphis Tigers. Mackenzie Milton is out for UCF after he had a terrible leg injury in the game. Last week, prayers, thoughts, and everything to him. It was terrible what happened. It was a gruesome injury. His leg did a whole 90-degree left turn. It looked like just awful. You hate to see that to anybody, especially somebody so vocal, so vital and uh, important to a team like this who endured the... the winless season and then had the undefeated season and now continued all the way up into this undefeated season who really made that offense go you have a true freshman running quarterback now that comes in for UCF and he started against ECU on the road and they had some issues last week against USF he comes in and they had they he ran the offense pretty well did really well I think UCF is going to win this game I think Their game plan will be better, and I think their defense will be able to slow down Memphis enough, and the quarterback that comes in for UCF will be able, excuse me, to put enough points on the board that UCF stays undefeated and wins this game. It's at 3.30 p.m. on ABC, and UCF is a three-point favorite. Hammer that. 
I'm telling you right now, just hammer that. They're going to play with a ton of emotion because Mackenzie Milton's out as well. Hammer that. We're going to circle back to the SEC championship because it's important. The Mountain West championship game between 25th-ranked Fresno State and 22nd Boise State. This game already happened earlier. Same thing. It's at Boise State again. Boise State beat Fresno State last time in a close game. I'm going to take Boise State again. Um, Clemson, number two in the country, is going to take on Pitt in the ACC championship game. I mean, Clemson was probably going to run away with this one, honestly. Pitt's 7-5. and five. They lost last week. They've been a nice story, sort of, this entire year, but it's just the ACC is not good, like, at all. Clemson is very good, but the rest of the ACC has continued. As, as Clemson's rise has continued to go up, up, and up, the ACC's competitors' rise has continued to fall down, down, down. And it's staggering how much of a gap there is between Clemson and the rest of the ACC. So Clemson definitely gets the job done and moves to 13 or now. Now, a big game in the Big Ten for the championship. You have Northwestern against Ohio State. Ohio State, who 62-39, to they dropped a 60-burger, 60 piece them, uh, against Michigan last week. And I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. This was Michigan's chance. This was what some people had been saying was Jim Harbaugh's best team he's had since he was at Michigan. He had a dynamic quarterback. He had a running back in Higdon who was dynamic, who guaranteed a victory. That didn't happen. Um, and Ohio State, their defense, I think, adopted the bend-don't-break. They gave up some big plays, which it happens. It's unrealistic to think you're not gonna you're gonna keep a team from scoring. It's not gonna happen really in today's age of college football and everything like that. But they adopted the bend-don't-break mentality, and it really worked for them. Sean Wade had a couple big hits. Chase Young had a big hit that caused an interception for Ohio State. Olav, the freshman receiver, had two big receptions and a block punt. Two huge play, three, three huge plays for Ohio State. Dwayne Haskins uh, ran his total for 46 touchdowns on the year. We need four more for, from him in the Big Ten Championship game because a 50-piece would look real nice on a Heisman resume. Uh, Gus Johnson was ranting and raving about how he needs to be in New York for the Heisman ceremony. Don't I don't know if that means he's going to win or anything, but I definitely agree with Gus Johnson that he should be there. Um, K.K. Dobbins looked good. Mike Weber looked good. The defense looked better than it had all year, pretty much besides, I guess, TCU and the first couple other games against nobodies. Am I saying you need to put Ohio State in the playoff right now? No, I'm not. I'm not saying that by any means. I'm just saying they played a great game. In the biggest game of the year against what some people are saying is the best team they faced against a team that was supposed to beat them, was favored in the horseshoe, what some people, like I said, had been called the best team Harbaugh had at Ohio at Michigan and the best chance he had at beating Ohio State so far. And they put up 62 points to 39 and what and one of those scores was just because of a bad play by Demario McCall on kickoff where he accidentally dropped the ball. Okay, um, hasn't hasn't been since 2000 that Michigan has won at Ohio State. It's just 
seven years in a row for the Buckeyes. What more? There's, it's ridiculous that it's even still considered a rivalry. I mean, yeah, I know there's always going to be the hatred and the trash talk and everything, but if you just go straight off numbers, just check the stats. Um, Urban 7-0 against since he got there to Ohio State, so whatever. But this game, Northwestern does not scare me really at all. What will probably happen is Northwestern will come out with their fucking hair on fire be extremely intense, fly to the ball, everything like that. It'll be close for a half, probably, but then Ohio State will pull away. Dwayne Haskins, as I said, I we, he, us, everybody that is rooting for Ohio State and him as a person needs at least four touchdowns at him because the 50-burger will look great on the Heisman resume, as I said. Get that done, and I don't think Northwestern's offense is explosive enough to pose a real huge problem for Ohio State's defense. Um, just slow them down and let the offense do what it does. It does so well. Ohio State's offense can hang with anybody in the country. It's just where the defense comes in and is a problem. But again, I'm not really concerned as an Ohio State fan about Northwestern. If My only advice would be don't worry if it's closer than expected at half. Um, the spread is 14. I imagine Ohio State does cover that, but don't worry if it's close at half. Ohio State will come out in the second half after the piss and vinegar is worn off of Northwestern, and they'll get the dub. Now we go to Alabama and Georgia in the SEC championship game. As much as I want Georgia to win, which I really don't, but I do at the same time because I don't think Ohio State would fare very well against Alabama and they have a better chance of making it if Alabama wins. And I think Alabama will win. I just think that Tua and Judy are going to be too much of a problem and Damian Harris is going to be a big problem. Jake Fromm for Georgia, though, knows how to compete against Alabama and be competitive. He's been in this situation before, winning the SEC championship last year. Um, Fields, the quarter, the other dual-threat quarterback that Georgia has, what has always caused Alabama problems in the past, mobile quarterbacks. This Fields kid is the number one coming out of high school last year, dual-threat quarterback. I'm not saying put him in instead of Fromm and let him play, but I'm saying utilize him. He's a weapon. You have him, use him. Alabama in the past has had all these problems, and it's they should be able to exploit it. Uh, Swift, the running back for Georgia, nine touchdowns on the year. It's going to be imperative for him and Holyfield to have a big game on the ground. If you can keep the ball out of Tua's hands and out of that offensive, the powerhouse that they are, you have a good chance because obviously, unless you're turning the ball over, you're not going to let them get points on the board. And at the end of the day, it always is the goal of the game. Score more points than your opponent. Hard to score if you don't have the ball in your hands. My big thing is is Georgia's defense, who has continued to develop all year and been extremely good this entire year. I'm Points per game, points allowed per game, they're giving up 17.2, but only 480 yards, um, allowing 259 rushing yards. 
um, excuse me, allowing 128 rushing yards a game, but rushing for 259. That's big. Again, keep the ball out of their hands. On the other hand, Alabama only allows 114 rushing yards and 168 passing yards. This is going to be a great game. I don't think it's going to be like the NCAA championship game was last year where overtime and all this other stuff. I think it's going to be a good close game, but at the end, I think Alabama and Nick Saban just get it done and are, once again, the best team in college football and SEC champions again. I hate saying that. I want... Georgia to win because I absolutely hate Alabama, but even if they did lose, I don't think the committee is going to keep Alabama out of it. They might slide Georgia up to one. Well, now, yeah, I honestly think they would. I think they slide Georgia up to one, have Clemson be two, have Notre Dame be three, or Notre Dame be four, and Alabama be three. Honestly, I think that's what they do. I do want to dive into this a little bit more, though. Let's just say that Georgia loses to Alabama. And let's say Oklahoma wins. So Georgia's out and Oklahoma's more than likely in. Let's say that that current situation happens again and Oklahoma wins, Ohio State wins, Georgia loses. There's been a big discussion of should Ohio State or Oklahoma be in if Georgia loses because people think Georgia will lose. It's a possibility, obviously. Um, I don't foresee the committee who has been extremely inconsistent with what they value. Um, You look at it the first year when Ohio State won. What was valued? Ohio State's dominating performance in a championship in a conference championship game. Um, when Ohio State got in a couple years ago um, as not Big Ten champions, Penn State was Big Ten champion. It was proved conference championships don't matter. But then Michigan State won it the year that they got shit housed by Alabama as the four seed. They won the Big Ten championship, and that proved to matter. Conference championships matter some years and they don't matter some years it's ridiculous that there's not a consistency between what the committee values and it needs to be better um with all that being said if it came down to having to put Ohio State or Oklahoma in I think the committee goes with Oklahoma just because the Purdue loss is going to hold on to Ohio State and cost them whereas if Oklahoma beats Texas. They avenge their only loss in a close game earlier in the year. Do I think that Oklahoma has a better chance of beating Alabama than Ohio State does? Not really. I think both the teams lose. I think both the teams can keep up with Alabama offensively. I think Oklahoma might be able to do it a little bit better just because the way Lincoln Riley and Kyler Murray do things. And not saying anything about bad about Ohio State. Like I said, both teams would be able to keep up with Ohio with Alabama, but it's on defense where things would run into a bit of an issue and where things can go bad. Oklahoma's defense isn't that great and Ohio State's defense isn't that great. So again, probably the committee would put in Oklahoma over Ohio State if things boiled down to it, but who knows. Now, I did see another thing where it was posed to me would say Georgia 
lost, say, Ohio State lost, and say that Oklahoma lost? Who gets in then? Because would you put in a two-loss team like a Michigan or a, yeah, like a Michigan or, yeah, no, but on the other hand, would you put in an American League, an American Conference champion, UCF, that's undefeated? Would this be the year they would do it? Uh, I think that here you go again. Winning a conference championship is big, or it should be big, and viewed by that by the committee. But without Mackenzie Milton, they always say that it's our job to find, and I'm air quoting the fuck out of this, the four best teams. So I imagine that if UCF was there undefeated, but they don't have Mackenzie Milton who makes that offense, it makes that team go, they wouldn't put UCF in because without him, they're not one of the four best teams i have no idea who they would put in at that point maybe they would put in gosh no i don't even think they put in michigan i think they would be forced to put in ucf honestly i think the pressure and everything they'd be forced to put them in because i don't think you can justify having any of the two lost teams there so yeah i guess they'd be forced to put in ucf and ucf would be I get probably embarrassed by Alabama in the first game, but we will see what happens. I will have my full reactions next week to what is going on. And just wrap up. If Ohio State makes it great, if they don't, we'll probably play in the in the fucking Rose Bowl. And my dad's thrown out the idea of going to the Rose Bowl. How dope would that be? Like, it's a win-win. We play for a national champion, have an opportunity to play for a national championship if we make the playoff. If we don't, we go to the Rose Bowl, we beat the shit out of Utah or Washington, and we call it good, and we have a great season. Dwayne Hastings comes back. Awesome. Either way. But those are my picks for conference championship week in college football. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, let's talk a little NFL football. The Thursday night game for week 13 is the 10 and 1 Saints going to the 6 and 5 Cowboys. Do the Cowboys have a chance in this one? No, they do not. They are now atop the NFC East after a big win against Colt McCoy and the previous NFC East leaders, the Redskins, on Thanksgiving Day. The Saints beat down the Falcons on Thanksgiving night. Drew Brees threw four touchdowns to a bunch of just janitors, custodians, and concession stand workers, it seemed like. Um, That's not a slight at any of them. There is no-name people that no one had in fantasy or had any relevance or anything like that, really. But congratulations to those guys for helping the Saints win that game. Saints are going to roll on this one, I feel like. Just they're on a whole other level, the way they're playing, the way that defense is playing, everything like that. So Saints beat the Cowboys on Thursday night. You can take that to the freaking bank. On Sunday, first game we need to talk about is the Ravens at the Falcons. Ravens need this win real bad. Lamar Jackson gets his win last week. He's played pretty good so far in the two games he started for Flacco since his hip injury. He's going to get the start again in this one. I think he's dynamic enough and makes enough plays against the Falcons defense that is still banged up, injured. It's going to be a high-scoring game. 
Lamar is going to have to show a little bit more competency in throwing the ball than what he has the first two games, and I think he can. And they're going to continue to use his legs as an offensive weapon. He carried the ball uh, 17 times, I believe, this past game, six, uh, 10 less times than he did last last game in his first start. But again, finding a way to balance him and get him in plays and situations where. He's not forced to make real tough decisions and find good matchups and make some easy throws will be very key for the Ravens and him in this game, and I think they get that done. And I think their defense returns to form. It did last week with some turnovers. Terrell Suggs had a big interception and a big return, and that defense is going to continue to play well, I think, against the Falcons, get pressure on Matt Ryan, and really shut down the run game that has sort of been here and there for the Falcons and make that team one-dimensional in the secondary with Eric Weddle and a, a couple of those guys for the Ravens will be able to shut not shut down but slow down and make the team one-dimensional enough that they know the pass is coming and be able to defend it more better and Ravens beat the Falcons the Bears go to the Giants as well on Sunday Giants I was gonna. I'm still riding with them. They might as well just win out. Big thing here is they don't believe that Mitchell Trubisky is gonna get the start. Uh, he's still dealing with his shoulder injury and stuff. Can Chase Daniels go in to the Giants and win? Apparently, um, there was some. I don't know how to put it. Some in innuendos that were saying that their Giants play calling and game plan in the second half was to not target Odell and Saquon and Saquon had like 100 yards in the first half last week and everything of total offense and things like that which I think is crazy but maybe that the organization is saying the Giants need to tank so they can get a better draft pick I don't know maybe the the front office excuse me doesn't want the Giants to win so they can get a better pick I don't know but I think that the Bears and that defense with Khalil Mack is good enough to make make the difference in this game and the Bears somehow find a win, find a way to win at the Giants. Bills and Dolphins, this game is pointless. I don't even know why I brought it up. I'm going to take the Bills, though. Sure, whatever. Um, the Broncos at the Bengals. The Bengals are a dumpster fire. Andy Dalton is now out for the year. Driscoll, the quarterback from Florida, is now starting. Um, I'll take the Broncos in this one. I think Philip Lindsay has a big day on the ground, and Cortland Sutton has a big game receiving as well. And I think Driscoll puts up good numbers. I'm not a fantasy football podcast, but I think if you need somebody to stream as quarterback or whatever, just go ahead, start Driscoll, because he can put up numbers. He can run the ball pretty well, too. But in the end, I think the Broncos get this one done. The Rams go to the Lions. Rams will probably get that one. Colts and Jaguars. This is a big game. The Jaguars are probably going to be without Leonard Fournette, who was in a big scuffle against the Bills last week. Colts are coming on strong, putting some pressure on the Texans in the AFC South. Andrew Luck is probably going to be the comeback player of the year because he's balling the fuck out. Jack Doyle, though, is out again for the Colts, and he apparently just makes that offense go. Um, he's a great running, tight, running, run blocking tight end. Not the best I've ever seen. That's Davis Canapel. I'll, I need to talk about this as well. Center, um, diverting from NFL talk for a little bit. Um, 
center football did lose to Mount Union last week. Um, bunch of buddies on center. Just want to, again, express and make sure you all know how proud not only I, but your friends and family are of what you all did at center and everything. Um, Jalen Hibbs, one of my best friends, set records at center this year. Um, Davis Canapel contributed in so many ways. Ben Logston, so many ways, contributed so many ways. Zach Berger, so many ways. Connor Barnes, who couldn't play because of injuries, but was still a part of the team in a coaching role who helped players develop and everything. Awesome. Lil Brown, who played offensive line and everything and blocked so well all year. Just hats off to you all. And Kyle Oliver, emotional leader of the team and was always there. Just hats off to you all on an incredible four years at center and everything like that. I don't even know how I got... Oh, blocking tight ends. Jack Doyle. Colts. And Colts, Jaguars. Jaguars without Leonard Fournette. Jaguars benching Blake Bortles in favor of uh, Matt Barkley. Seems like a no-brainer. Colts in this one. Browns and Texans. This is going to be a high-scoring game, and the Browns are going to win. Baker Mayfield kind of causing a stir Sunday when Hugh Jack kind of called Hugh Jackson out after the game, saying he didn't really like how he just defected to the Bengals and kind of gave up on them, and they didn't really believe in him and everything like that. I get what you said. I understand why you said it, but, like, you don't need to say that, Baker. Like, we kind of understand that. We kind of can see that. You kind of just burned a bridge that, I mean, no, Hugh Jackson's not, like, that important in the league or anything like that, but not the best look, I feel like, for Baker Mayfield to say that, but obviously he's allowed to say that, and that's who Baker Mayfield is, and that's who you get when you signed up for it. So, okay with that, but a little iffy for things like that. Again, the Browns put the beat down on Cincinnati last week. The Texans got a big win on Monday night against the Titans. Titans are on an eight-game win streak, but I just think the Browns are going to find a way to get it done and beat the Texans this next week. Cardinals go to the Packers, and another off-the-field thing, Aaron Rodgers pledging a million dollars to the wildfires in California. Awesome. Love it. Um, his brother, Jordan Rogers, who was on The Bachelor and everything like that, who the Rogers family and Aaron are estranged. They don't talk, okay? Um, Aaron puts out the video saying he's going to donate the million dollars to the wildfires and everything. And Jordan claps back on Twitter and says, oh, you couldn't even call your own mom who was living near the fires and was terrified and was going to have to drive away and everything. Like, seems like an act and seems fake. Okay to have the issue with that. Um, Twitter, probably not the best place to air out the family laundry like that. Again, I understand you being upset with what happened and kind of, I don't even, I don't know the situation and no one knows the situation really besides the people that are in it because Ann Rogers and the Rogers family haven't talked about it, but it's your mom. Like, I don't know how or what that family could have done to you but it's your it's your mom you can call a parent or someone you that loves you and gave birth to you in a situation like that it is kind of fucked up Aaron Rodgers didn't but wrong place wrong wrong time for Jordan Rodgers especially on Twitter to come out and publicize that the Packers suck the Cardinals suck even more though so I'm gonna take the Packers in this one Panthers go to the Buccaneers. 
take the Buccaneers. <sighs> yeah, I'll take the Buccaneers now. When the Panthers are on a downward slide right now, um, they just lost to Seattle last week. No, I changed my mind. Buccaneers played good last week against the 49ers, but not this week. I'll take the Panthers. Panthers. I know I said I'd take the Buccaneers, but Panthers. Um, Chiefs go to the Raiders. Chiefs. Jets and Titans. Give me the Jets. 49ers and the Seahawks. The Seahawks are coming back. They have the run game. Defense is playing well, and Russell Wilson has been playing some of the best ball at quarterback these past two months. So keep an eye on him and that rest of the Seahawks team. I'll take the Seahawks in this one. The Vikings and the Patriots play as well on Sunday at 425. Patriots, I'll take them. I just think that it's about their time to start clicking. They're going to snap into things. And start turning it on. And I think the Vikings are... I'm, I am still want to believe in the Vikings. I really do. They got a win against the Packers last Sunday. But I just can't. I'm going to take the Patriots. And the Sunday night game is the Chargers and the Steelers. And the Chargers will be without Melvin Gordon. Who took uh, MC, he has an MCL injury. It's a sprain, not a tear, anything like that. So he's out for at least this week. So Austin Eckler at running back is going to get a lot of touches. Um, Steelers, tough loss. Ben made a bad decision throwing the ball last Sunday against Denver through a game-losing interception near the goal line. Juju Smith-Schuster had a 97-yard touchdown. A ridiculous. Um, has two of those in back-to-back years. I'm going to take the Steelers in this one. I just think they find a way to win, come out, play mad, especially after the loss, and it's in Pittsburgh too. It's a tough flight for the Chargers and everything going cross-country. It's going to be cold. How are they going to handle that? Hats off, though, I do need to mention to Phil Rivers for starting the game last week, 25 of 25, um, most consecutive completions in NFL history. So hats off to you, Philip. You are finding your receivers like your sperm finds your wife's eggs because you have a fuck ton of children. But Steelers get it done. On Monday night, the game is the Redskins and the Eagles. I'm going to take the Eagles just because I think the Eagles defense is good enough to get to Colt McCoy and bother him and cause some issues, and that's really it. Both these teams, I think, are on the wrong side of the season. I mean, I just think they might be competitive some games, but I don't think they really have a chance in their division or to make a wild card or anything, but... On this night, the Eagles are going to get it done against the Redskins. All right, let's talk a little college basketball now. Um, The Maui Invitational happened last week, and in a big surprise, the Blue Devils did not win. The Gonzaga Bulldogs did, so hats off to them for that impressive run that they had beating Duke in the championship game. It was a very good game. Duke had a chance at the end, but R.J. Barrett was... I don't know if it was the way it was drawn up. I think it was because Duke used a lot of timeouts and got him the ball a lot. Um, If so, Coach K gave him the ball three possessions in a row at the end of the game, didn't give Zion the ball once, and I think Zion, if you have three opportunities, maybe you give him at least one look. RJ Barrett was able to get to the hole a bunch, just couldn't convert on layups at the end of the game and didn't get fouls called on the shots or anything like that and just couldn't get it done, so... Have that, so like I said, hats off to um, Gonzaga for being able to do that. Um, tonight, 
in college basketball, Duke is beating Indiana pretty handedly. Another big game that already happened was UofL beat the ninth-ranked Michigan State Spartans. Um, UofL hasn't lost in November at the Yum Center. Uh, Ryan McMahon had a big game. He had, let me see here, he had 24 points, um, 4 of 8 of field goals, 12 of 13 for three throws. Joshua Langford had 15 points, was the leading scorer for um, Michigan State. On Twitter, I'm seeing all these, oh, U of L is back, everything. You all aren't back. Um, you all have a good team this year. You're going to be competitive in games. You might win some games, but you all aren't back. It's Chris Mack's first year. You are going to be able, because of the way he coaches and how good of a coach he is, he's going to get the best out of the players that you all have. You're going to, like I said, you're going to be competitive. You're going to win games. You're not back yet. Just pump the brakes. Michigan State isn't that great. I'm going to be honest with you. We're probably the second to fourth best team in the Big Ten. Uh, Michigan is definitely the best team in the Big Ten right now, but the net rankings don't say so. They say the Ohio State Buckeyes are, and they have a big game against Syracuse tomorrow. And if Ohio State can um, handle the zone that is going to be thrown at them, maybe put Woods, the transfer from Wake Forest, as the guy that is at the top of the key and at the free throw line pretty much and gets the ball and has opportunity to drive or pass and everything, I think that would be wonderful. It's going to be interesting to see who they pick to be that guy. So we'll just have to see about that. Um, like I said, that's a big game for tomorrow. It's the uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge. Maryland, 24th in the country, plays Virginia. Virginia will probably wear them down and win that game. Let's see. North Carolina plays Michigan at Michigan. I think Swaggy Pool for Michigan is going to have a big game, and Michigan wins that. North Carolina is a very good team. I could easily, again, see them winning that. I know that's kind of me, like, playing the field and staying on the fence, saying, oh, Michigan could win. North Carolina could win. I think that's going to be the best game of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. So just that's going to be a good game to watch, but I think Michigan gets it done. Um, Another big game you have this week is Wisconsin and Iowa. For some reason, the Big Ten is going to play some conference games and then get back out of conference and then get back in. Iowa 14th in the country. Wisconsin 22nd in the country. Um, going to be a low-scoring game, so if you don't like defense and you don't like Big Ten basketball, do not watch that game. Um, Louisville goes to Seton Hall. I think Seton Hall gets that W. Gonzaga goes to Creighton on Saturday. Watch out. I'm not saying Gonzaga is going to lose that, but I'm saying it's going to be a lot closer than what people expect because Creighton has some matchup problems that they can exploit against Gonzaga. Purdue plays Michigan this Saturday as well. I like Purdue in that. I think Carson Edwards is the best player in college basketball, and I think he's going to have a big game against um, Michigan and lead the Boilermakers to a win. And that is about the only few big games really there are this week. So that concludes college basketball talk for this week. We will talk a little bit more about it next week. Now, I know I was going to talk about said I was going to talk about it, so let's talk about it a little bit. The match between Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. Um, bad golf was played. Um, it was a spectacle. 
Um, there were some gripes about the coverage and everything like that. The players were mic'd up, but Peter Jacobson and the rest of the guys in the booth sometimes were talking over them. For the first hour, they were it was totally different. There were some silent pauses that I think really made the booth and the producers and people in truck like that feel a little uneasy because Tiger and Phil, they were talking, but they weren't really like filling all the dead air time. There was dead air time and everything like that. So <clears throat> I think after the first hour, the people were a little wary about the dead air time and they said, fuck it, we just got to start talking. And they really didn't have to. And that kind of ruined the experience a little bit. Um... One of my big concerns was the whole between the holes and walking to balls and everything, how they would handle that. They did a pretty good job. They had Adam Lefko, who worked at WLKY in Louisville um, for Bleacher Report there, talking about gambling odds and stuff like that between shots and holes and everything. That helped move along time a little bit. Um, Charles Barkley was acting like a fucking idiot in the booth and everything, so he was sort of entertaining. Samuel L. Jackson was there, sort of entertaining. Pat Perez, who is notoriously one of the most uh, most energetic and outgoing guys on tour, got a great personality from all accounts, um, he was up in the booth as well and didn't really... Um, get to show I feel like his entire personality and everything I think he was toned down and maybe a little not nervous but wanted to be politically correct and PG and everything which I understand um it was a big opportunity and a big moment and you don't want to piss anybody off or fuck up or anything like that and be too brash so I understand um the golf was not that great Phil jumped out to an early one-up lead held that for most of the match and then around the 12th or 13th hole Tiger took it back and then Phil had it going into the 17th had a chance to win on the 17th, where a lot of people thought they might not play 18. Tiger chipped it in from the fringe. Uh, the ball was up against it. Tough shot, chips it in. Phil misses the putt to have the hole. Tiger squares it up. Um, 18, Phil um, hits it left a little bit, hits it past the hole as well. Two putts, whatever. And then concedes, Tiger concedes his putt. So 18 was a little, eh, and then Phil turns around and does the same on the playoff holes as well. Says, I don't want to win like this. Let's go play. They played a converted par three that was 95 yards. They were hitting off the practice screen and everything onto the 18th hole where they recut a uh, hole and everything. They were playing under the lights. They kept saying, oh, it's so dark, it's so dark. It was fucking dark, yeah, no, like no kidding. But y'all have the lights and everything. They were trying to make a big deal about the shadows and how hard it is to read uh, greens and lines and everything in the shadows. It is, but, I mean, these guys are two of the best in the world. Um, all in all, it was an, it accomplished what it was supposed to. Phil Mickelson ends up winning in 22 holes. It was fun to watch. I was entertained. I didn't have to pay the $20 because Bleacher Report stream fucked up and there was it was free online and everything. And if I had paid $20, I probably would have been upset knowing that I could have gotten it for free and everything after the fact. But I didn't. I was driving home and I watched it on my phone, had it, and I was watching it that way. I was content. I was entertained for the ride home. I watched the entire um, back nine and playoff holes because I wasn't aware of the whole streaming issue the first nine so 
again, if I had to pay for it, I probably would have been upset, but I wasn't. I was entertained for the most part. I don't think they're going to do this again anytime soon. If they did, they have to make some major changes to the broadcast, I feel like. They, besides micing people up, which is like the most obvious thing to do in this situation, there weren't really many other innovative things they did. And like, it's not, there's not many innovative things you can do with it, honestly. I get that. They tried to mic up the players, and it was good to hear them jab a little bit, but it wasn't, like, crazy. The PGA had its hand in it a little bit. They limited the amount of side wagers and bets and amounts they could do, which is kind of bullshit because it was all going to charity. Whatever. But all in all, I enjoyed it. I don't expect them to do it again anytime soon, and if they did, it would probably have to be Tiger and Phil again because, like, I don't think you're going to get a big turnout from casual golf fans if you did somebody else. And, I mean, yeah, like, diehard fans would probably pay for somebody like, say they did Justin Thomas versus Jordan Spieth or Jordan Spieth versus Royal McIlroy or, I mean, Patrick Reed, but he's a fucking dickhead apparently, against Ian Poulter or something like that. Hardcore golf fans would tune in, but the casual golf fans certainly wouldn't, and they definitely wouldn't pay 20 bucks. So, again, I liked it. I had a good time watching it. It was fine. I don't really have that many gripes about it, but that's all in all the match. Hats off to Phil for finally getting a little bit more bragging rights against Tiger. All right, that's it. That's all. Thank you for tuning into episode 44 of Carson Sack Podcast. We will be back next week with the mail sack. Keep your eyes and ears peeled to all social media platforms that I am on. I will be asking questions for you all's questions again and we will have the mail sack next week we're going to talk about the college football playoff next week and nfl and all the other good stuff that we normally talk about and as we always end here on carson sack podcast like rate review subscribe everything on itunes like and share and retweet that tweet that i want to put out tomorrow about this podcast thank you all for listening i truly 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 just like the alcoholic beverage truly do appreciate it. I get drunk on your all's love for this podcast and the support you all show me. I truly appreciate you all listening to episode 44 of Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls. And as we always end here on the sack, we will be seeing you.